This is episode 112 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 112 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have another very special episode. I have Darcy Marler on the podcast. Darcy is a published author. He's an, a highly experienced multifamily investor, and he's presently taking his investing from over 100 units in the province of Alberta, Canada. He's looking at projects to build in Texas and in Florida right now because that's where he's seeing opportunity. And this was a totally coincidental discussion. Darcy didn't even know I was actually in Florida and looking in Florida when he reached out to me and we just got to talking and uh, we talk a lot about numbers in this episode. You're going to see how Darcy and I uh, approach our numbers, some of the different questions that I'll ask versus how he looked at it. Um, And I'm hoping that you'll find that exercise valuable. Uh, I really enjoyed Darcy's mindset. He talks a lot about focusing on your strengths, focusing on what what fits well with your personality and uh, and really trying to scale your business that way. So there's a lot of wisdom to be gleaned here. It's not often that we have investors that have been on the show that have been in the business for 20 plus years. That's why I really thought this was a cool experience. And uh, I think you're going to get something out of this. As always, if you're brand new to real estate investing and if we're using some language that you're not completely confident about, I highly recommend that you head right back to the very first 10 episodes because they were very foundational and it should help you get a grasp and hit the ground running as you're learning more about this. If you haven't already done so, please take a moment and hit that like and subscribe button as well as the notification bell just so that you can get notified every time there's a new episode. And if you are an audio listener, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people to find the show and hopefully it'll help it to help more people. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 112 with Darcy Marler. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Darcy Marler on the podcast today. Darcy has a big portfolio. He's been around the business for a long time and he's going to tell us all about it. So Darcy, uh, if you wouldn't mind, give us, a, give us the backstory. Tell us what you're, uh, what you're up to as well as how you got there. Great. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I've been doing this full-time. I'm a full-time real estate investor for 20 years now, since 2001. Before that, I was a computer guy, which I think is a kind of a common theme in real estate investing. But uh, so I ended that in 2001, had some money, didn't want to see a computer again. And so I came back uh, to Canada. I was in South America, started getting into fix and flips. But from then I did land development, new construction, condo conversions, long-term rentals, uh, all kinds of things. Burr, I've done everything. So, okay. Yeah. What's, uh, what are you doing now more? Like what's your main focus right now? Right now, I'm, I'm working on some new construction stuff, but I'm also writing. I've finished my third book on real estate investing and just uh, just about finished my fourth, actually. So I'm finding uh, new joy in kind of putting pen to paper, as they say. And you're, oh, you're actually writing it physically or is that just an expression? No, I'm, I'm yeah, that, that's kind of a pet peeve. Every time you hand somebody a book, oh, did you ghostwrite it? No, I actually physically written every... Oh, yeah, every, I meant, I meant in paper, yeah. but no, that's awesome yeah. that you're not ghostwriting yeah. it. That's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would have a hard time writing a whole book myself with the amount of free time I have right now. But I think uh, delegation is key. And then you can start getting more time for that kind of thing. Uh, What are your books called? First one was uh, uh, comparing the strategies of real estate. So so real estate investing. So I compare all those the eight major types of real estate investments and what's good and bad about them. Um, I think that's one of the problems with a lot of the real estate education is that uh, Everything works all the time. The books and the, the stuff that you see on TV, uh, you know, do this and this, you'll be a millionaire in a year. And 
the the flips work every time. So I, I kind of came at it honestly. This is what I've learned: the good and the bad uh, using my own case studies. Second one was a book on uh, how to manage your cash better. So if you're just starting out, how to make your cash go farther, and different ways to increase cash flow. The third book, which I just kind of finished at the end of last year, was Land Development. I think that's a very underserved portion of the uh, the real estate education market. And to go in line with that, the fourth one that I'm just finishing uh, is actually on new construction. So actually, uh, okay. looking at from a Canadian standpoint as well, all of that. Do you have your own construction company? I've basically done... Uh, my problem is I... I I lack focus or I did lack focus anyway. So I'd flip from one thing to another to another. So that's why I've done basically uh, all the different strategies. Um, so I just have a company that I've, I've used for my investments for the, for the last okay. 20 years. But when you're building, are you, are you subcontracting it to the various different trades or do you just hire one general contractor and that's it? Uh, that's, I was being my own general and I found that's not, that's, didn't mesh with my personality or my abilities. Like I was more yeah. of a higher, higher level guy. I should have been delegating. So I, I'm, mm. I'm definitely doing that the last few, but uh, the first 10, 15 years, I, that was one of the biggest mistakes I made was trying to be my own general and trying to do everything myself. Trying to do everything yourself. Yeah. So I, I do have my company that, that does that, but um, I do delegate within my company. I think that's the, the big thing, but yeah, no matter what, if you want to focus on bigger things, you've got to, you've got to get rid of the day to day, um, monotonous stuff the things that are rep, yeah. the things that are repetitive uh need to go um okay so that's interesting whereabouts is your base are you okay. western canada i'm out of calgary actually yeah. you're in calgary okay but i was in calgary yeah yeah i have uh actually i've got rentals all over alberta though, so I've got about, i'm in about six places around alberta so, so how is the uh how's the last uh few years been for you obviously calgary went through a downturn and uh, now it's kind of steady growth, it seems, despite uh, even the Keystone pipeline getting uh, yeah. canned. Uh, actually, yeah, it hasn't been great, to be honest with you. Yeah. The uh, vacancies went up, rents went down. So, so the rental side of the market was, was gone for a while. It's starting to pick back up. Um, multifamily hasn't been treated well. And then on, on, so that's the rental side. And then on the new project side of my business, you know, doing flips or doing, you know, new construction, whatever. We missed the, the the people coming in. In the early 2000s, you know, there was like 100,000 people a month coming into Alberta. Um, a third would go to Edmonton, a third would go to Calgary, and a third to the rest of the province. And, and that kind of stopped in 2015. We're just basically the last year, I think, net positive again for, for in-migration, but uh, nowhere near where we were. And that's kind of what drives a lot of the real estate investing market is, is yeah, people coming into to keep the vacancies down, the rents up for people to buy your product if you're selling it. So, so we're starting, starting to turn a corner, I think. So what's your, what's your portfolio look like in Alberta? I'm assuming it's all in Alberta. It's all in Alberta. Yeah. So over the last 20 years, I've owned uh, 92 properties, 240 doors. Uh, and that's all the rentals and new construction and all that. Right now I probably have about, I think I've got about 15 buildings, 107 doors as rentals. Um, so um, yeah, no, I'm, I tend to, my average building, I guess you'd say is probably a multifamily nine to 12 units, 1980s kind of vintage renovated and fixed up. Okay. And when you go into something now, are you still trying to do the burr or, or are you more looking to just go in and just sink money into something? Like if you see a good deal, like walk me through what you'd be looking for now to, to be a good deal. Yeah. 
basically what, what you're saying you know, is that was my problem for years is that I, I, I did have a short attention span. So I'd get, you know, I'd finish one job and then, you know, shiny trinket would come around and I'd, I'd get into something entirely different. So now I am trying to focus learning off the last five years. You know, we've kind of basically had a, a five year long recession here in Alberta. Um, so now I, I want to be in and out quick of something. I, I, I'm, I'm also at an age, I'm 54, where I don't really want to get into eight or 10 year long JVs for, for rentals or things like that. So kind of learning from, from my experience, this is my fifth recession now. I remember the eighth. Um, but yeah, so in and out quick. Um, I, I just, I'm also figuring out my why and my personality more than I ever have before. Before I was just kind of in it to make money. But um, now I'm focused on on only things that, that kind of play to my strengths and my personalities. What am I good at? What am I not good at? So that's, you know, I don't want to be a landlord anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a general contractor guy anymore or on-site supervisor guy anymore. So if you kind of do that, you, you can weed out some of the strategies that maybe don't make sense for you anymore. And then that changes over time as you, as you age and, and get experience. Um, yeah. So now I'm focused on on new construction and uh, more the mentorship and, and writing side of the, the real estate world. So, okay. So those are your, your active incomes now are in building. Well, I guess you're developing. Yeah. So we'll walk through some examples of, of properties you're, you're sure. buying and what you're, you're expecting. So you're doing that and then you are uh, contracting the build and then selling uh, finished units or are you selling an, an, an apartment or are you keeping that at the end of the day uh, and refinancing it for a rental property? We're just, I've been doing some, some basically build new and sell. And now I'm just starting to investigate uh, down in the U S actually uh, building multifamily, like a 25 or 30 door uh, yeah. raising the financing for that. And then I'll, I think we'll refinance and keep as, as the plan once we, we get up and running. So where would you be investing in the U S? I've got some, uh, actually some friends that, that were up here that, that uh, got their butt kicked too. So they went down and, and they're basically out of Houston. And then I've got another group that's, that's in Florida actually. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I like those. I, I, again, you're looking for for where are people moving into, right? And, and in the yeah. States, they tend to be moving out of California now. And, and there's always kind of people moving to Houston. Uh, I spent a bunch of time in the 90s in South America working down there. My wife's Venezuelan. So I understand the Latino market quite well. And, and yeah. Miami they just go to Miami. Like that's kind of what they do. Yeah. So you've always got this in migration kind of built in, you know, there's a hundred thousand people a year that are born in Houston. So there's just a city every year kind of that gets grown into Houston automatically. So. Yeah. It's well, those are, those are pretty great States and they're two that are high on my radar. I'm actually in yeah. Florida right now. I'm, oh, in, okay. uh, I'm in Naples right now okay. um, and I am looking at the investment prospects down here. Yeah. I, I mean, compared to what you see in, in Alberta in terms of purchase price, I think, you know, there's a lot of comparable, um, but just, you know, coming from Burlington, Ontario, when I come down here and I see that I can get a semi, I can buy two units for $275,000 and I can rent each side out for 1600 bucks. Like I don't hear those kind of numbers back yeah. home that that doesn't exist. So um, no. it did, but it, it uh, yeah. well, the other part too is, is, is you can't forget too, is that, uh, you know, in Houston, for example, it takes a month to get a permit where it's, you know, six to eight months in Calgary to physically build a, a single family home. You know, they got no basements, the, the insulation, the art factor is different, all that. So, you know, you'll take four to five months to physically build the building. We're in Calgary, you're eight to 12 months with, with everything, right? So just the layers of, of bureaucracy and kind of the, the, 
difficulty in just being in Canada these days uh, makes it a lot more attractive not to be there. Is it that long in Calgary? It's, it's really, uh, it's eight months to get a permit. Is that just now or is that that a long time that it's been that way? No, I've, I've actually, let me tell you, Sonny. No, uh, I pulled my first permit in 2001 and you could expect to get here back within three to four weeks. And now you're, you're four to six months at best kind of thing. Maybe a little bit more. So and the amount of regulations, you know, back then you needed the, the checklist that they put you through of, of what we need to see was a page and a half. Now it's 11 pages. Um, they used to ask for three blueprints. Now they ask for 15. Like, so it's it, the amount of bureaucracy is just, is just stupid. I thought we had it bad in Ontario. Yeah. You yeah. know what they do, what they do in Ontario, because they're required to give you a response within two weeks. So yeah. if they're busy, they'll just nitpick at something small. They'll find, you know, everybody makes some sort of minor mistake on their permit app. So yeah. if they're busy, they'll just nitpick on something small. And then the clock stops. As soon as they can yeah. put you into that queue, oh, you made a mistake. So we did get back to you and there was something deficient. And now you have no clock. So now it could be six months. And I would just literally, I would, I would call them up, you know, once every couple of days. Hey, John, how's it going? You know, I just wanted to see if you got to that. And, and there, the answer is pretty consistent. And I even hear other people getting the same response. And they just say, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd be a lot more likely to get your permit re- uh, reviewed if, if I wasn't here talking on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they won't give you any feedback. They yeah. won't tell you when you can expect it. So I've waited several months, but I've never waited yeah. seven. I've never waited six. But I, I could see it trending that way. Um, yeah. And that, so just through a little trick. Oh, you made this little, you know, you didn't cross that T just right. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is that uh, is they won't even accept it if it's not perfect, right? Yeah, well, they won't even do that. But I'm saying yeah. if it gets past yeah. that and then they yeah. then they find oh, some little detail, like if the engineer yeah. didn't include a certain notation, they might say it. Yeah. It just depends. Like if you get somebody who's in a bad mood, they'll say, well, they needed yeah. to include that. So now we're, we're now you're off the clock. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and what I'm noticing, too, is, is they'll they'll move the goalposts on you. Right. So that's exactly. Th- yeah. Theoretically, this 11 page checklist should include mm-hmm. everything you need. They go along. Oh, we also need you to do a soil report for example and so everything gets put on hold and now you're mm-hmm. going to go off and do a soil report so that's that, that's pretty typical now too it's, it's nothing or you'll get you'll get the development permit approved but with conditions and the conditions are more yeah. reports so when you're doing it out there if you want to build a single family home are you having to go through a site plan approval process in addition to a permit application or is it just a permit application that takes that long basically that's just the permit application Wow. Okay. I don't yeah. envy you working in that no. market. No, but that does seem to be an opportunity. It's uh, you know, if other people don't want to deal with it, there's always yeah. money to be made. That's, that's kind of what I've yeah. learned as I go through is the more people who don't want to deal with something, it's kind of yeah. like more of an opportunity. Yeah. Especially if, if you're, and that's actually in the second book, the, the, mas- the cash management book is one of the things there. If, if you don't have any money to start um, to do that kind of behind the scenes permitting work to get it ready for somebody is, mm-hmm. is kind of a, a cash, cheap way of getting into the business and, and building some value to get some money out at the end without a lot of money in. You're saying going through the permit processes? Yeah. So if, if you were to, you know, you're just starting out, you don't have a lot of money. Um, if you could find a, a property that this, that might be good for a land development or new construction and mm-hmm. tie it up and then and actually go through the permitting process, it's not that expensive to do that. Uh, relatively speaking, and then you're you saying if you can tie it up conditionally, yeah. uh, or or you're saying relatively speaking, if it's worth fifteen million dollars when it's done, it's well, you, know, you can get in with I'm just not, a little bit. I'm not sure you're going to start there or that one, but let's say you, you yeah. found a, 
a lot that's got an old house on it and and you don't have the money to to take it all the way through and tear down the house and build something new but can you get the permits in place yeah. everything ready to go and then you can hand it off to a builder that, that could do that uh, for the market so if you wanted to out in alberta and i think a lot of ontarians are talking about alberta right now because it is low and uh, it represents an opportunity yeah um, if if you wanted to say find a property, like what what would a target be? Would it be a single family that maybe you could build into a triplex? Would it be a single family on a big lot that you could maybe put a private road down the middle and you know make six townhouses or eight townhouses? Yeah. Like what what type of project are you seeing being possible and most realistic? What I'm what I'm seeing is and kind of funny you brought that up. All the money's kind of going to new properties, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's been a real flight to quality if you want to call it or flight to new uh I, like i said i remember the the 80s the recession in the 80s everything just stopped because interest rates were you know, 16 17 18 percent here at interest rates you know two two and a half percent building has still been going on like crazy the last five years even though we haven't had the immigration so there's all this new product and what you're seeing is kind of a cannibalization of, of the older like even a 1980s like my 1980s property if you're a a, a renter and you've got a brand new fourplex two doors down, you know, you're going to migrate to that because the differences in rent aren't all that much. So there's a lot of older product. If you, if you, if you were looking to kind of demolish something and, and build new, there's a lot of stuff, you know, forties, fifties, sixties that, that can be had pretty cheaply that you can tear down and, and build something else on. But this, the strategy and I, what I'm hearing the money coming from Ontario and, and BC is, is all going to kind of the newer product. So yeah, as opposed to a, you know, buying my 1980s fixed up kind of version. So. Yeah, I hear, I especially see it at some of the uh, real estate investor groups is they they push the suited properties. So they'll just, yeah. you know, brand new single family with a basement dwelling unit as well. Uh, that's pretty common. And investors will buy up, you know, three of them at a time so that, yeah. they're, you know, they're getting, they're buying six units and they're getting cash flow. Um, so you're seeing something similar. That's kind of what you see people focusing on. Yeah, if I were to, to invest, that's kind of where I'd be in in the rental market. Would be those those suited units because Edmonton was a way far, further ahead than Calgary on that. They were let's call it ten years ago. They started to to in, incentivize people to to put basement suites in. Calgary just dug their heels in until basically a couple of years ago, and now even then it's kind of still like pulling teeth, but it's better. But uh, I think they finally realized that, uh, yeah, you've got to, you know, you can't just keep pushing out and pushing out with with uh, creep all the time. You've got to start reinvigorating the, the downtown a little bit. So. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're coming on board with that too. So that's, is that something you see well, as, as like, if you were to go look for a development project, yeah. what would you be looking for? Like, what do you, what do you see like with your skill set as being the yeah. right type of property for you to go after? Well, you know, I'd be going after basically a, a spot where I can build a 25 or 30 unit um, mm-hmm. apartment building. The, the difference is just, as we discussed kind of earlier, the, 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 the scope of, you know, what's it cost to buy that piece of dirt here versus Florida or Houston? And what's the, yeah. you know, you're dealing with like $100 a square foot building cost versus 200 or 225 a foot kind of building cost. So, so the economies just are, are just different, right? So now that I've got the kind of experience I do, why would I, why would I stay in Canada? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So you're not even <laughs> looking in, in Alberta no. anymore. 
Okay. So walk me through what you are, or you don't have to give me any addresses or anything, but give me a, you know, a property and concept, something you've crunched some numbers on and you're leaning towards. Um, Let's walk through, what would you be acquiring it for? Uh, You know, let's get some basic kind of back of the envelope numbers. Is that okay? Sure. All right. Okay. So yeah, describe what it is. Like, is there a parcel of land you found like an acre or what do you, what are you typically looking for? So basically, like let's take Houston for example. You can you know you can get uh, lots service lots in the you know thirty to fifty thousand range. Okay. Um, you're a hundred dollars an acre to build, and then you're selling them for three hundred at the back end, three hundred thousand dollars on the back end. Okay. So there's 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 good spread there. That's kind of what you're looking for is new construction because that's not always the case. You know, while it makes makes sense, you know, duh, buy low, sell high, fine. But it's not always you can't always find the cheap lots or the you know, the cost per square foot to build is different all over the place. And and maybe yeah. if that's low, maybe, well, maybe the resale is just barely over replacement too, right? So you can't just always assume that you're going to find kind of those, the, the, the spreads you need. Yeah. But, but Houston and, and a lot of places in Florida are like that. You know, I liked, uh, I was in uh, Florida last year and I was looking at uh, St. Petersburg, Tampa Bay, you know, down into uh, kind of not quite to Sarasota, but kind of down, I, I like the I like the west coast of Florida as opposed to the Oh me too. Me too. Yeah. I just saw I just saw a lot. I was from a wholesaler waterfront on a river just uh just inland from uh from Tampa. And uh, I think two hundred grand and the houses in the uh in the uh street there were, you know, anywhere from four hundred to eight hundred thousand. And I mean, waterfront, when I see waterfront, I'm just like, well, you can't make more waterfront. So, no. <laughs> so waterfront's a feeling. In fact, I mean, I just don't want to spread myself. I don't want to get into that. Like I could definitely get into building down here, but I wouldn't yeah. start with that. Like I, yeah. you know, I've done that at home, but it's not going to be uh, something I turn on overnight. But, uh, okay. Did you find, have you done a deal in Houston yet? I've got a partner that that's built several. So we're, we're kind of teaming up together and then, okay. um, kind of, and then we're bringing a third guy to bring some money in. So yeah. I basically incorporated there and up here and, and got the, you know, the ITN numbers you need down there. And all so that. you're already all set up, ready to pull a trigger. We're just set up, ready okay. to, to start to do something. Yeah. So you'd be buying hypothetically like a one acre lot that you build 20 to 30 units on. Yeah. Or is that, is that approximately what, what size you would need? Yeah. And then I'm, yeah. I'm trying to, the goal is to, to maybe build three or four of those, maybe five of those. So you've okay. got a, you've got 150 doors and then okay. keep for two or three years. And then, you know, the extra strategy might be to sell to a, a REIT or an insurance or some large okay. institutional investor. Kind of thing. So, so let's, let's walk through a hypothetical. So what would you buy that acre of land for? Uh, that depends. That's hard to say. Um, you're sub 200,000 in most places, like you're hundred to 200 grand to buy something that could, that would, that would work for that. Zoning yeah. would be appropriate for that. Zoning would be appropriate. Well, that is just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's craziness. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so 200 grand to buy something that in you figure it would be about 30, 30 units, or you would go for 50 yeah. units if you could. I'd, I'd probably stay around the 30 door mark. To, yeah. Okay. So if we assume what's the average unit size, Probably 700 square feet, 800 square feet, seven for one, seven for one, 800 for two. Okay. So we'll say 750 on average. And then we would gross up by 10% for, for a common area and hall space and all that. So, so we'll say 825 square feet as far as calculating build 
typically, you typically lose about 800 square feet. Yeah. Or, okay. So, sorry, sorry, yeah. All right. So then we're say 30 units. So we're looking at building uh, 24,000 square feet, 24,750 square feet ish. And let's say, what do you think your build costs are going to be? They're right in the, the 100 to 110 10 per square foot. All right. Well, we'll just assume that we're at the 110. So 24,750 times 110. So you're looking at something, you know, 7.2 million um, to build. Now you're going to have some other costs there too. So development charges, I would assume. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's always carrying costs. So development carrying costs. What do you think you're going to add on for all that if you're building thirty? If you just back of the envelope ballpark it. Let me just pull up kind of a, an actual number here, and I'll, I'll stop riffing off the top of my head here. <laughs> I like riffing sometimes, but accurate numbers are good too. Okay, okay there was one I was looking at. It's actually a ten plex. Mm-hmm. So um, this would have been a Cape Coral. Florida. See, I like Cape Coral. I, I had my eye on something there. Yeah. So land cost was 140. Uh, cost to build was 1.3 million for the the tenplex. Okay. So so let's just slow down for a second. So so we'd be 10, uh, 10 units, and we'll figure unit size of 825, including the uh, the common space. So so we're grossing up to cover common area. So you're 8,250 square feet. You're still figuring 110 uh, build, or is it more down there? Nope. No, you're right in there. So basically 130,000 a unit all in for construction. Okay. And you've, and you figured 140,000 to buy, right? Is that what you said? Yep. Okay. So, so build would be, um, 1.5 million with contingency and all that. Total, everything all in was about a million five. Oh, okay. A million five. So that included the build. So the 110 plus all your other stuff. So there's about, I guess, uh, including the purchase. So you're 1.5, including the purchase development and construction. Yeah. And your interest? Nope. Okay. Okay. So we'll. Uh, Was your hard cost? Okay. So you're in for 1.5 million. What are you figuring for interest? So you're call it 70 percent finance, 30 percent uh, cash down. Your interest, seven percent. You're I'm a little higher because I'm I'm not an American. Um, so you're 70 grand for interest. These numbers don't sound bad. And then would you be selling those? So basically, I'd, I'd look to hold. So basically, refinance and uh, get new financing, five-year hold. Okay. So what do you figure the new value is when you're done? If you're you're in for like one point five seven with your interest, right. market value basically is about one point eight five at that point, based on a five and a half percent cap rate. So let's go through basics on your rent. What do you figure in your rent would be there? You're a mix Basically, of ones and twos, right? Yeah, so averaging about thirteen hundred per unit. Okay, so you're thirteen thousand a month, one hundred fifty-six thousand annually. Yeah. Um, fi- what do you figure in for taxes on something like that? Did you run through those numbers at all? Property taxes would be about sixteen thousand. Okay. Even ten percent on management, which is high, but fifteen six there. And then maintenance. What do you like to figure on something new like that? Eight percent, five percent. I had about vacancy and maintenance together was about ten grand. I'll make mine similar. So I'll do 2% vacancy and then I've got 5% maintenance. It's a little higher, but close. Um, I didn't know that uh, split up, but anyway. So. What uh, would you do for insurance? What do you figure something like that would be? About 12.6. Now, other costs, things like uh, landscaping, garbage removal, 
um, I just, throw that into maintenance. I kind of just go. Okay. So you just have that all in. So, so you think your maintenance at, at the roughly 5% you've budgeted just under is more than enough to cover all that stuff. So, yeah. So 10,000 out of 156 or 6% all in. Including, including your vacancy. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll just throw you 500 bucks there for miscellaneous. I'm getting like around a five cap there. Okay. Yeah. So our numbers are calculated a touch different, but okay. So what kind of financing would you be 65% loan to value or 75% there? We were 70. 70. That's one of the things I've learned to assist you know, while it's exciting to go to 80 or 85%, you'll sleep better if you're at the, the somebody market. Especially in this kind of market, because you just don't know. Yeah. Like, you don't know it's what's going to happen. Like, I, I find the American mar- market is a little more volatile. Like, it, it actually, where you come from, you you probably know the feeling. Like, it's volatile, like Alberta. It can, it can be up, it can be down. Yeah. Um, okay, so interest rate on that, you're going to be like 6% or something like that? I had 7 just because I'm out of out of country so i think okay. that goes down if I, the more you build the, the better rates you're going to get but yeah just like the street, they said about seven percent with seven percent interest so. yeah so i'm showing i mean i'm probably probably got something wrong here but at that level i think i mean i'm showing negative cash flow what did i do wrong here um so i've got taxes at 16 insurance at 12 six yeah I've got maintenance at 4%, so 6,200. I've got vacancy at three grand. Um, oh, utilities. That's what we forgot. What do we got for utilities? Would you have anything or no. it's all separated? It's all separated, yeah. Okay, there's there's your cash flow. So yeah, then I got a... a it's a, I have 67,000 for mortgage. So I'm showing 35 grand positive cash flow per year on that. Okay, so you would be a uh, thirty-year amortization on this mortgage, or not? Would you not? Uh, yep. Okay, so seventy percent on one point eight five million. So that's a one point two nine five million dollar mortgage, thirty-year AM, seven nope. percent interest. I, I still had it at the seventy percent of the original construction. Oh, so you're not you're not financing. You're going to just come in with cash to do the renos. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So, so let's do our correct then. So we're going to be, this would be new construction. So I'm actually building it for 1.5. So you're going to do 70% of what you're in for. You're in for 1.57, right? Okay. So you're, you're basically financing 1.1 million. I had about 980 because I'm at 1.5 all in for cost to build. All right. You know, what? we're going to work in hard numbers instead of uh, percentages here. So you're, you're financing okay. your, your uh, scenario here is not pushing it right to the 70% even uh, of the current market value. I mean, I know you yeah. gave me an ARV. You're not pushing towards that. So if no. you do that, if you finance, you're figuring about 980 in total um, versus the, uh, the 1.57 you're in for ish. Um, yeah. you're going to have a fair, fairly large down payment. You're, you're in for, you know, call it, call it 600 grand. Um, but your cash on cash, like well, we can calculate some of those numbers. It doesn't look fantastic, but you do certainly have the pay down aspect. You have the appreciation aspect. Um, so there's, and then of course you have the sleeping at night uh, aspect yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and, and as you're an old man, that's the, that's the important thing. I hey, I get it. Like everybody starts aggressive. I have people ask me, they're like, oh, how aggressive should I be? How much should I leverage? I'm like, well, when I got started, I leveraged as much as I could possibly take. And then I scaled it back sort of as I, yeah. as I went forward. Yeah. Um, it's all, it's all situational, right? So yeah. on these numbers, I have it. So your principal pay down on a yearly basis, you're averaging about 11,900 a year. 
uh, based on that mortgage at 7%. I think you'll do a bit better than that on the rate. So over the five-year term, I've got about 60 grand. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, over the five-year term, about 60 grand. And then 3% on the appreciation, I just figure that. I mean, you could be way better than that, especially with the inflation that I think is coming. Um, So you could be, be, but who knows what could happen. So, I mean, if it's 3%, that's like 47 grand a year. I did 1.5%. So. <laughs> Coming from Calgary numbers. All right. So, so at 1.5, you're, you're 23% or you're sure it's 23,000 a year. That is still like fantastic numbers. Yeah. And, uh, and then of course you have that forced appreciation that you've put in there um, as well. So your cash flow about 24,000 a year, 2000 a month. Not bad. That's, there's definitely a good buffer in there. And like I you got said, I, 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 got, I got cash flow is about 30, 35 ish a year. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm a little more conservative on my numbers. Well, I did put 10% in for management. So you obviously don't need to spend that. You can go five. Um, I've got maintenance at 4%, 3% on or 2% on vacancy. Um, then 12, six on insurance taxes. I got 16,000 and then I just did like a 500 bucks miscellaneous. So it's nice that you're going to separate all those utilities though. You've, you've really got, uh, that's one of the nicest things because I don't really feel that tenants value that. I, I like if whether utilities included or utilities not, people just look at the sticker rate. I find with with rental yeah. rates, sure they they like if utilities are included, but I don't think it's a deal breaker if it's not. Well, the other thing too is because it's a new build, you've got the ability to to make sure that every unit has a separate meter for everything, right? As opposed to buying a, a 1980s yeah. product that's you know where everybody's sharing the same gas and all that stuff. for water separation. In Ontario, it's ridiculous. Like I would pay like $15,000 if I wanted to add a municipal meter to my duplex. Like I, they, w- they would just charge me a ridiculous number. What, uh, what would it be down there? Do, have you looked into that? Do they have a large charge for that? I haven't looked into that. No, yeah. the guy so was just talking. assuming you'd be able to do it. Okay. The partner, the guy that was like the guy that I knew that lived up here and got laid off in the oil patch and now he's down there in construction. He, uh, mm-hmm. I was working through these numbers with him and he didn't bring that up. So, and he's okay. So he doesn't think it's going to be an issue. He didn't think it was going to be an issue. Okay. That's pretty crazy that you can get those lots for that. Now, what, what makes you know, this is going to be, what makes you know that this is worth doing? Like, is that something that you're, you're leaning towards actually pulling the trigger on? Yeah. 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 The difference is, like I said, I've got guys, guys that I know here that have done it. Right. So there's a guy in Houston mm-hmm. and he's just been b- building multifamily or sorry, single family and duplexes, but he's been doing very well at that. And then this other gentleman down in, uh, that I knew up here that's in Florida now, he's been doing stuff down there mm-hmm. and uh, doing quite well. And, and so his wife actually, um, became a commercial realtor down there. So she's also working the, the numbers with me in that. So where, so. whereabouts is he located? He's all, he's off in Boca Raton, so he's on the he's on the more Atlantic side. Okay. I just find that it's just too busy over there. Like you're like you're just in the car all the time. Where I find St. Petersburg, Tampa Bay areas, it's a lot more laid yeah. back and it's a lot more I don't know, just less stress. I think. Oh so yeah, I, I love the cool. lifestyle over here. It's yeah. I mean, although Naples is really expensive and kind of silly like that, but I mean, just I like going for the sunsets. The water is generally quite still if it's not a windy day. Yeah. It's uh, it's really beautiful over here. Um, I'm not interested in leaving anytime soon. <laughs> and what I liked about that area, the the, the St. Petersburg and the Cape Coral and that kind of thing, there's just so many. I don't know if you call them little 
jetties and stuff where there's just so many little rivers and everything kind of going through mm-hmm. there's just so much waterfront like everything is kind of it's not just yeah. one coast it's like a bazillion little jut-ins and stuff that, that, so. yeah the inland waterways are great there's yeah. you know you'll have, find a lot of houses that just have they have a little dock in the backyard you can lower your boat into the water it's uh it's pretty uh pretty different kind of lifestyle pretty different kind of feel and then you can see dolphins in the water so that's kind of yeah. cool too make yeah. sure you put a, uh, a gazebo over top of your uh, swimming pool so if the alligators don't get in the water <laughs> so. yeah yeah well you want, also want to do a little tiki hut in your backyard uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get out of the sun a little bit um you know it's funny like i since i've been down here i've just had i've actually heard so many other people thinking about florida thinking about texas right now and i think it makes a lot of sense because those are two states yeah. that are kind of standing for individual freedoms so a lot of the conservative people which are a lot of investors they're yeah. they're thinking let's go to these places so i was speaking with a, a realtor uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was telling me and i'm not sure where he got the information from but i do believe it is uh, that they've got about 2000 in migration a day in florida right now I believe it's I wouldn't be surprised at all to hear that. No. Um, so, so my thought is these people need a place to live. I, of course, there could be a correction. There could be a collapse. I mean, we saw 2007. Um, they're just recouping those values now. Now, um, But, uh, you know, I, those people need a place to live. Like I look at the, I look at it in Ontario, similar way. I'm like, how could, yes, values could go down. I'm absolutely not saying they couldn't, but there's so many people who need housing that they pretty much need to actually just choose to leave Ontario and go to like Alberta if values are going to go down in Ontario. Right. Uh, they just Or planning needs to open right up and allow them to build. But I mean, there's it's hard to ever say what's going to happen, where things are going to go. It's it's really just speculation. Yeah. But, you know, you're, you're sitting there, you know, obviously Alberta, I'm, chances are pretty good and conservative. But you, you look at like Vancouver, for example, and, and the the migration into the country slow down a little bit because of COVID, but obviously, you know, the goals by the, the government are still to have a million people a year come in. Right now, they're not really going to Alberta. So typically, they go to Vancouver and Toronto. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, if you think six to eight months is hard to get a, a permit in Alberta, you know, try Vancouver. Um, so land prices are stupid high. The government's not working with you to to build new stuff quickly. So that's why, you know, vacancy rates are so low. So as, as, you know, the, the point being is it's hard or I, I don't necessarily see the values dropping in like a Vancouver because you've got that mm-hmm. artificial government lift kind of thing. Yeah. Immigration and, and bad policy, to be honest with you. Kind of the same thing in, yep. in, in Ontario a little bit. Um, well, it's lethargic, so, right? It's still lethargic yeah. planning. It takes a long time and we just can't keep up with the people pouring into right. this country. And I, to me, I mean, not to get political, it's just irresponsible. We need to take care yeah. of the people who are here. Yeah, <laughs> We need to make sure that they're good before we start pouring more people in. But I think that there's a lot behind that. You know, they want to, they want to keep money coming into the country, keep propping yeah. up the tax base. There's so many reasons, but this is, it kind of reminds me of like when you give somebody, you know, a blood pressure medication and it causes another problem and then you give them a medication for that. Yeah. That's, that's Ontario in a nutshell, <laughs> like yeah. so, so many policies, then they have to layer on other policies to fix what yeah. that policy hurt. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, yeah, welcome to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then, you know, Vancouver will say, you know, natural gas for apartments is no good. We got to outlaw that. Well, how are you going to heat people kind of thing? Right? So, I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know. we, yeah. We're getting, we're getting a little extreme right now. So, um, you know, like I, I've been talking about this a fair bit. I think that, that going cross border is actually a way of diversifying against a political climate. And if you, yeah. if you're worried about what your politicians might do, it's good to get out of their jurisdiction and, yeah. and be into another one just so that you're not, you know, you don't have all your eggs in a basket, which you are yeah. not in control of. Cause if they, mandate something like look what doug ford did in ontario he just said you can't kick people out like how many landlords did that break i'm sure yeah. there's many that it just absolutely broke them tenants just said yeah. oh we're not going to pay well the yeah. landlord's still making payments so uh you know it's a tricky thing <laughs> a delicate balance is needed and obviously yeah. not an easy conversation to have yeah don't, so get, Darcy, me, don't get me started <laughs> don't get me started i want to get you started <laughs> I love these conversations. I don't shy away from being controversial, but what do you yeah. want to talk about? Because I know you've done so much. What do you think is the yeah. most value that we could talk about right now? Uh, value to, I have a listener base of, of uh, intermediate investors, got some advanced ones. I got a lot of newbies. Yeah. Um, you know, talk to the middle. Where, where can you add value? A lot of people are looking for ideas. They're looking for cash flow. Um, they want to create wealth so they can have freedom. What, what would you tell them? Uh, the first, where I'm kind of on a bit of a kick to to kind of pick your why before you pick your how. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think too much of the real estate education world is is rentals and flips and burr. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're just brand new getting in, you know that's all the books on the shelf, that's all the the TV shows, right? Other than you know how to pick a house in the Caribbean. But if you're going to invest, there's really nothing else out there, right? So automatically people go for rentals and flips. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you don't like that? What if that's not your, your cup of tea, right? So I would suggest strongly that, that take some time. Don't just jump right in. Educate yourself as to all the abilities, like all the different condo conversions or new construction or land development, whatever, and see what kind of speaks to your, your personality and your why. Like, why are you doing this? What are you hoping to get out of it? So that you can enjoy it, right? Because I, I got to be honest, I, I I haven't enjoyed most of the last ten years, and not just because of the, the really bad ec- economy, but because I was doing, you know, because I was a landlord when I didn't like doing it, or because I was a general contractor when I didn't like doing that, right? So, I, I, but that's kind of the story I was telling myself: is that's the only way you make money is to get rid of that kind of the middleman. Um, so you just kind of show up every day on site and, and not really happy about it. Well. You know, let's. I, I think you can make money in real estate and kind of be happy and and, and pick your battles. And, and this is what I want to do, and then I'm going to offload the rest of it. So I would, you know, and and you don't necessarily just have to do rentals and flips. There's other there's other things you can do out there too. So. Okay, so give me one. Give me an example of the other things you can do that are not. You know, most people are just either working their full time job, probably don't have a yeah. huge savings. So what is it that they're going to be able to do that's not rentals and flips and burrs? So again, so if you just start out, no money. Well, you know, that's kind of part of the thing too. Is is you, you need a little bit of money. Sorry, like, you, you, um, but it's also there's ways to raise money. Mm-hmm. You know, wholesaling bird dogs. So maybe you have to get in there to begin with. But if you've got a little bit of money, um, now you can start. You can do a new construction project of just one single family home, or, or you know, a land development where you're you're taking a, a property. Uh, removing the old house and, and getting the utilities in and getting yeah. ready for a builder. So, you know, you don't, you know, I think part of the mystique or the, the thing about land development and new construction is it is a massive companies doing it and it's 160 acres at minimum and you got to have millions of dollars. Like you can build a house for 
you know, single family home for, for, you know, not tons of money, you know, so yeah, if you're in there getting a JV partner anyway, like, you know, you can do something like that. And, and because you're, you know, you're, you're offloading the actual technical part to a realtor, to a, to a, the architect, to the mortgage broker, and to your general contractor, you're not physically swinging the hammer anyway. So mm-hmm. um, you can put a good team together and, and kind of do some of this other stuff. As we were talking before, you know, you can do some land parceling. Let's say you find three older homes together that can get knocked down. If, if you don't have the money, you could work a deal with the three guys or the three different owners and then go through city hall and get all the paperwork done. Uh, if you want to actually design the new property. So you have a package to give to a builder. It's, you know, so now you've saved him a year of, of partnering around with the city and there's, there's value there. So you're saying the three, the three houses for three teardowns in a row or the, those right. three to take down and build a, an apartment a new apartment. Exactly. But in order for that to work. And I actually know a guy that did this in Ontario and he like yeah. created a $4 million equity, like built in equity for himself doing this project. Yeah. And yeah, he basically contacted two owners, tied up both properties for a year and then went through the planning process. Eventually he had to buy it because the planning went on another six months, but he knew he was far enough along that he knew he was going to get the approval. Yeah. Yeah. And so he bought bought them, closed on them, wrote it out for another six months, and now he's building them. And yeah. uh, yes, that's possible. But I mean, if you're in like Toronto you're, or even Burlington, where I'm from, you know, you're paying bungalows, crappy bungalows are a million dollars, a thousand square foot bungalow. Yeah. So, you know, if you find three of those side by side, well, you're $3 million. So you can tie them up for a year, but these aren't desperate sellers. These is right. a seller's market. Right. So do you think so, that still so- works in that kind of market? Depends where you are. Everything, everything depends on where you are, right? Like, so, you know, you can't get, you know, lot for a, a 10 unit apartment building for 140 grand everywhere either. Right. But so you've kind of got us like we were talking about in that Cape Coral thing, right? But, you know, I've done land parceling several times and, and made it work several times and other times, you know, I, I've tried and the numbers didn't work or, you know, the, the seller just wanted too much money. So you just got to walk away. But yeah. You know, it's, it's trial and error. Like, so, so, but somebody could with, with just getting started, they could go learn the building permitting process. How are they going to do that? Do you like, what's, what's the easiest way for them to learn what they don't know? Cause I've been through that process. You and I both know there's a lot of things you got to know and you kind of learn them as you go. Um, what would you say to them? I would say it would be really nice if someone were to write a book on land development and then follow that up two months later with a book on new construction. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, so do your reading, do your research. Obviously there's gaps, but yeah, I mean, so. heck you could even go, go, you know, offer to work for somebody in the business for yeah. free or, you know, but, but seriously, these two books um, yeah. that I wrote to answer those questions, like, this is yeah. what zoning is about. This is what usage is. This is what density yeah. is. So they kind of help you to understand. I think I think in Ontario, the big thing is infill. Um, if you can find lots that have extra space and sever off lots, those are where people make millions of dollars in Ontario. I see that. My mother-in-law did one. She bought a lakefront cottage and severed off three lots. Yeah. So she paid like $3 million, I think, or $2.6 million for the lakefront cottage in Burlington. And yeah. then each lot she severed off, I believe each one is like $1 million to $1.2 million right. just to sell. But, you know, she had to service them and there's lots of expenses and interest and yeah. all that. I mean, you, you deal in these big numbers and they sound so impressive, but of course you've got interest that goes with it. So, yeah. um, so but that's, that's a, that's definitely a, you know, a possibility. Yeah. But even, you know, and, and yeah, so the further you get away from downtown Toronto in your case, or, you know, 
mm-hmm. downtown Calgary, in my case, you know, the, the land gets cheaper and, and things get cheaper and, and easier to do. So, but, you know, the land development book, for example, I, I, I give three, I, all through the book, I use three case studies from my own experience. One was uh, two homes side by side, 1960s, and I moved them off, subdivided that into four. Uh, and now you got four four lots. I ended up building on those walls, so mm-hmm. I, guess I built I built four properties. And then I did another one where I did seven acres and built then subdivided thirty six units. And then mm-hmm. I was involved in the building of a new racetrack here in in Calgary uh, as the president of the company that did that. That's seven hundred acres. So you know I've done yeah. small, medium, and large jobs, and I use that those examples. You know I, I use a lot of case studies in my book to kind of sure. help people to. to give it a, a hands-on taste and yeah so well, it sounds interesting wherever you fit in that mix mm-hmm. you know there's something that you okay. can i can do that so yeah so how would you say and i'm interested in reading your book because i'm sure there's plenty of ideas in there um it how would you say that like say you want to do an apartment building how do you know that you're going to get approved because my experience is and i get this feedback in london they they say we don't spot rezone so we're not going to let you put high density right next to single family homes but if i was near you know three other apartment buildings and i could find some land right next to those I personally feel like I'm a lot more likely to get approved because the city is already allowing for, for high inten- high density in that area. Is that sort of the approach you take? You look for other buildings that are of that density? Yeah. So, you know, as, as I talk about zoning, whatever I say, you can rezone, but, but only within reason, like you mm-hmm. can't build a you know, nuclear power plant downtown. So try to match, you know, try not to do square peg round hole, try to match the use that you want with the, the property that already lets you do it or that it's going to yeah. be minimal, minimal change. Or the other thing is a lot of times if you go talk to city hall and, and go talk to some of the bureaucrats or the politicians, like, what, what do you need? What do you want? Like, yeah. What do you want? Work out. Like, so, so that way um, they're helping you, you know, like yeah. there's this property that's been kind of vacant for 20 years. We really want to see something there. If you were to do this, you know, we'd, We'd, we'd really help you there. If you yeah. find something like that, that's, that's a bonus too. That's, uh, as Matt McKeever calls it, pushing your business downhill. I'd say instead of pushing yeah. your business uphill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so we all have, you know, and I was guilty of that too. And, uh, you know, we all have these fantastic dreams. You know, it'd be really cool to build that there. And then, mm-hmm. but that's not really what that land's set yeah. up for. So it's a real uphill battle. And, and why? Like, just go with the yeah. You know, my challenge with the way things are is I don't like being ignored and my solution to being ignored by people who I need their attention is to go in and see them in person. (laughs) And when, you know, city halls are closed, I mean, that to me is like devastating because like I can't be nearly as persuasive over the phone as I can when I show up (laughs) and the people don't like it when I show up. So, you know, it helps me get results. Funny story. My son is, was in university. He's he's 22 now, but his first year there, he wanted a job in, in, uh, in, uh, you know, the downtime in, in summer and their generation is all just about going online. Everything's online. And I said, well, physically print out resumes, physically go door to door. He wanted to get a job with landscaping. I said, physically go to landscapers and, and put your resume in. No, no, it'll never work. Never work. Put it off for like a month. Couldn't get a job. I said, just trust the old man. First place he went to, they actually got him in. He interviewed with the boss right away and got a job. And the guy said, nobody ever comes in anymore. So, yeah, so you're showing you're showing all this, uh, you know, adventure coming in. So that's yeah. part of the two is, is our is our world is so changed that we're, we're doing everything online to actually 
yeah. somebody shows up, it's actually, uh, holy crap, it's, yeah, we'll tell. Well, it, it goes back to what you said. Like, if I have to do it that way, if it has to be online, it's not fitting so well with my my personality. Like, I, yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do that. Like, uh, if, if people are going to ignore me, I'm going to get an answer. And if they take away that, you know, that that yeah. way of me doing it that sucks <laughs> so yeah. i gotta figure a way around that one but yeah. i mean down here they're open like it's like normal life down yeah. here so yeah. um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons that this seems to fit better for me and for me I like big cash flow needs like i need to know that um you know it not needs but i just like i won't buy unless there's big cash flow in a project so yeah. um yeah i'm looking forward to seeing some opportunities down here it's funny how our conversations went here who knew yeah, you were you I, were looking you were looking I, I, down here as well I didn't expect it to go that way either. But yes. Yeah. All well, you didn't know. We never talked. All, never... All, all, your, all of a sudden, these questions about real, like, show me some real numbers. Let me bring it up. Yeah. Sorry. Everybody gets that. I, I do like yeah. to do back of the envelope conceptual, but it doesn't always work out as easy as, yeah. you know, especially with these more complex deals. But uh, we do a lot of burrs on this show. Um, but I love getting outside of that. And the land development thing, I think, is so critical. I think that there's the low-hanging fruit, which is the burr and the regular rental and the flip. But those don't earn people nearly the profit they used to. And and now it's where we need to get more sophisticated. We need to start thinking of what are other people not really willing to do or what don't they yeah. want to do? And that's the opportunity. To me, That's that's been so critical, looking at yeah. what, what other people not doing. And uh, yeah, then, because if you're just doing what everyone else is doing, then you're competing with them. You don't want to be right. competing. So. And that's kind of what happened with the, the infills here in Calgary. I want to say, you know, 10, 15 years ago, all of a sudden, you know, they're really good for a while. And then all of a sudden everybody started doing them. And then yeah, prices they, go up. And now, they suck the profit out of it. They suck the profit. Right? Yeah, so so yeah. you got to find new things too. I used to be able to buy the house. I like to uh, do in my sort of burrs. I used to be able to buy them for around 200 grand, put it in another 200 and have it worth, you know, five thirty, five fifty. You know, worked really well. It's yeah. kind of like almost like printing money, and yeah. uh, and then that same junk that I used to buy for two hundred is now four fifty, five hundred. Yeah, that's not. You know, it's not like I'm getting that more on the back end. So yeah, yeah things oh. change, and you got to adapt. And uh, I, it's been tough in Ontario, right? A lot of Ontarians don't want to go outside the province, they or they yeah. even outside of their cities. And I yeah. think it's caused a little bit of a slow for a lot, or a lot of people to accept lower returns and lower margins and lower cash flow, which I think is risky. So that to yeah. me is, I love these out of the box. Let's think, how do we expand? How do we do things differently? How do we go to new markets? I think those are great yeah. conversations. So I appreciate that. Now, before we let you go, uh, could you give me any final words of wisdom just to wrap this conversation up? Uh, one of my favorite sayings is don't let, don't let perfection be the enemy of the very good. And I think that's one of our problems in Canada now is we're trying so, you know, Objectively speaking, I, I, Canada's not perfect, but it, it's as close as you're going to get on this planet, I think. And so let's let's not try to screw it up by by trying to be perfect, <laughs> Mr. Trudeau. As, as I was talking directly to you, but anyway, uh, uh, love it, love it, and I love that quote in general. I love that quote. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think a lot of this social media and what we're hearing all the negative feedback is because people are trying for perfection. Do like like mm-hmm. compare us to where we were a hundred years or two hundred years ago. We're all through our you know, our history is humanity. Like, like shit's good, man. Like, it's yeah. all this negative. Like, I, I try to feed, you know, my kids are all early 20s and, and they've grown up with the social media negativity. And guys, yeah. like, it has never been a better time to be alive on this planet. Yeah. Well, we've never had it easier. That's the thing we don't realize. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with Stefan Arnio? Yeah. Yeah. His Hard Times Create Strong Men uh, book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's the Hard Times Create Strong Men 
strong men create good times. Uh, good times creates weak men, weak men create hard times. I believe we're in the weak men creating hard yeah. times thing. We've never had it easier, never had it better. And we're so yeah. confused about it. So this is why I, I want people to get back out, learn how to create their own food, how to yeah. uh, grow their own food, find their own water, survive, um, build their own investment portfolio, secure their own livelihood. I think that those skills are extremely valuable right now and people don't quite realize it. So, um, so in my other, in my other world, I'm also a farm diversification specialist where I help farmers of all sizes, uh, get new sources of revenue. So I've, I've actually got one client that we actually started fish farming where I got a huge fish farm facility in Alberta. I got other guys doing hops. We're starting to look at mushrooms on another client. So, nice. so that's, uh, kind of feeding my why and my happy space at this point too. So Love it. Speaks to what you're talking about too. Uh, yeah, I want extra land. Like I, I love to look even down here. I want to have greenhouses. Like I want to actually grow my own food and and just just have a, an entirely sort of self sustaining kind of ecosystem that yeah. I can live on. So to, to never be dependent, right? I think as an investor in any circumstance, you know, even dependent on our job. If we're dependent on our job, we we, we lose all options, right? Yeah. If you're dependent on your investment portfolio, then you might not be able to make the moves that you want to make moves. So if you can diversify and if you can remove dependencies, I think that your why can be better serviced and you'll have more time to even think about and satisfy it. So um, some abstract thoughts for today. (laughs) I think we are, you know, I think that COVID's really put out there that how dependent we are, we were on China. And how dangerous oh, yeah. that is too. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's, yeah, we gotta, we gotta be sovereign, right. As a country, as individuals. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Darcy, where do we send people if they want to learn more about you, follow you, get in touch with you? Okay. The website is hrrealestatementors.com. Check for Hutton Radway, realestatementors.com. And my email is Darcy, D-A-R-C-Y at Hutton, H-U-T-T-O-N, Radway, R-A-D-W-A-Y.com, Darcy at HuttonRadway.com. Dot com or dot C-A? Dot com. Dot com. Okay. Yeah, I will throw those in the show notes. And I really appreciate you taking the time. It was uh, interesting getting yeah. to hear your wisdom. You know what? I, I don't often talk to people that have been in this business for 20 plus years. So yeah. I guess you're on 20 years now. So that's... 20 years, yeah. That's great. We've got a lot of new successes, but I like to hear the ones that have, have weathered the storms and, and found their way through. So that's great. Yeah. Very good. I appreciate it. Thanks, Darcy. Well, let's stay in touch and I'll look forward to, uh, to seeing when those books come out. I'd love to, love to grab a couple of copies. Excellent. Sounds very good. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. I'll see you on the next one. Uh-huh.